Hey, this is Ertai from the Sightless Farm podcast. We are currently on a break, and while I'm recording the next batch of episodes, I will be publishing a few episodes from a similar but cancelled podcast called A Touch of Gaming. It is co-hosted by Ryan Peach and Brian Counter. Enjoy the episode. A Touch of Gaming, March 2016 edition, Pros and Cons, Part 2. Hi, it's A Touch of Gaming, a podcast about the participation of the blind and partially sighted in the modern tabletop gaming hobby. I'm Ryan Peach. In the February 2016 edition of A Touch of Gaming, the first part in our two-part series on conventions, we discussed our convention experiences and convention experience in general. In this edition, the second and final part of the series, we're joined once again by Bill Corey to provide suggestions and advice on participating in conventions, and how to make them a more enjoyable experience. So let's get back to the table and on with the content. We are back in the second part of our show. We're not going to be providing any specific game suggestions, no short lists this time around. It's just going to be more tips and advice. And Bill Corey continues to join us to provide more of the convention wisdom. Hi! So, <laughs> for those for those looking to attend a convention, based on all of, of what you've learned from your experience attending conventions, what do you think should be point one that they should consider doing for themselves to make the convention experience better for them or better for others? What What's the first, the most important thing in your mind are we focusing on visually impaired or just mention attendees in I, well i would say that it's it, if it's good for the sighted it's good for anyone okay. i agree perfect in that case what i would say is decide what kind of a convention experience you think will be the most enjoyable and then choose your conventions based on that and the reason that i say that and i touched on this actually in the first part of the show is that some people really need structure in order to make them feel like they are expending their time efficiently and will be frustrated if they don't have a thing to go do right now. Like if you just give them a wide open space and say, here's your sandbox, go have fun, they'll be frustrated and perhaps put off by that. But if you give them checkpoints along the way, here's the thing to, that you're going to do at noon, here's the thing you're going to do at two o'clock, here's the thing you're going to do at four o'clock, take a break for dinner at six o'clock so you can get back to do a thing at eight o'clock, then that structure is what helps them enjoy their convention time. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is because there are sp specific conventions, like I have been singing the praises of BGGCon and Geekway to the West, both of those conventions are particularly not good for those sorts of people because those conventions are very open sandboxy. There are scheduled events, but they are the exception rather than the rule. So if you go to one of those conventions, as wonderful as those conventions are, the structure that you crave probably won't be present. Whereas if you are more of a sandbox style convention goer, you want to just walk in and be able to jump into games whenever and meet up with people and be more freeform, then those style of conventions are going to be your style. So I would say the number one key is to know yourself and know what you want out of the convention before you even set foot in the door. I think that that's really the biggest flaw I think a lot of people have with their convention attending strategies is that they don't go into the convention with self 
awareness and self-expectation. They go in expecting to that all conventions are created equal, and they are most definitely not. Mm-hmm. Brian, well said. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't want to repeat what Bill said, but uh, those are great tips. I think from a practical day-to-day standpoint, what I'd simply like to add is, it's stupid, it's simple, but do it. Wear bloody comfortable shoes. Yes. My goodness. And if you have a backpack, wear a cotton shirt so that when you start sweating and you're carrying this stuff around, you're not uncomfortable. This is a small thing, but it's important. Uh, you know, and be conscious of other people. You know, if you have a backpack full of stuff hanging out the back and you swing around and you hear something thud on the floor, you just knock somebody over. Don't be a selfish twit. Uh, don't be texting while you're in the hallway in, in a busy convention center, especially Gen Con-ish. Uh, be aware of others. Be kind to others. I mean, it goes without saying, but there is a reason for some of the stereotypes of young males at conventions being jerks and be saying misogynistic things and all of the bad stereotypes. Now, I don't want to focus on that, but don't be one of those idiots. But be comfortable and learn to eat when you have to. Don't overschedule so that you're screwing someone else out of their gaming time because you're late for uh, an event that they need a full house at. Schedule yourself well. I used to bring food to Gen Con. I would just pack up a bagel sandwich and and just carry it in my backpack so that I wouldn't have the bad convention food, excuse me. (laughs) And I would just find a chair and eat it with some water. So those are small things, but I think those are important. And if you're coming with people... You know, work on your schedules together. I used to see people that would sleep on the convention floor because they didn't bother to get a hotel room, and they would try and get sleep at 3 or 4 in the morning while a werewolf tournament was going on and people being loud, and they would just get up and start playing. That's crazy. I mean, you know what? If that's your thing, to each his own. However, that's just crazy, and you're going to burn yourself out. So learn to sleep. Take your time. And relax. Those are the basic general human tips I can suggest. Talking about the three, two, one rule. What's that? I always heard it as six, two, one. So I'm here. I'm curious to hear your version of it. Okay, I thought it was was three, two, one. Six, two, one is six hours of sleep, two decent meals, and one shower or bath. Uh, yeah. That's, okay. I think I think the minimum. three, two, one would have been three hours of sleep, two oh, meals, God. and one. No, no, because then you end up with an energy drink junkie, and those people are. Pains. Yeah. Okay. Well, my my point was is that I wanted to sort of bring that up as its sure. own specific sure. thing, since right. there's the rule out there. Anyway, if you want to attend a convention, don't attend alone. But if you're going to be sitting somewhere, you don't have to stay together. Uh, as we've addressed earlier in the show, some of these conventions can get very crowded. And when I say don't attend alone, I mean bring another human being, whether you get around with a cane or a guide dog, especially if you get around with a guide dog, they will probably freak out trying to attend some of the busier conventions or the smaller conventions that simply have less space but seem to have a lot of people. Attending these conventions, you're going to be on your own. They're not going to have any staff to meet up with you, to check in on you. You're pretty much on your own to get in, around, and out. So come, go with at least one other person. I think that I think that that's a really great tip, although I will put the caveat in that the smaller the convention, the more likely you are to get that personal assistance from the convention staff. I think but, you can't, are... but you can't count on it. Yeah, you can ask for it, though. Most, I mean, speaking as a former convention organizer, it's if somebody approached me and said, hey, I have a visual impairment and would very much like someone to help me with the basics of the, the convention from time to time, I there's no way you say no to that. 
I think it's just a matter of asking. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 in general, I, I, I think I still feel, I still feel like there's the potential, Bill, to get forgotten about with all the hustle and bustle of the convention. And, uh, you know, like everyone, eventually you may need to take that washroom break or, or do something like uh, we were talking about uh, scheduled events. Maybe you wanted to get in on a scheduled event, but you you're not a veteran of that convention. You don't know your way around the hall to get there by yourself. You're just going to need sure. someone to get you over there. And at least if you're, if you come in with someone, then you can coordinate with them about them just taking a few minutes from whatever it is they're doing to help you get to where you want to go next. Oh yeah. I think, I th- like I said, I think in general, I agree with you. I was just pointing out that don't be afraid to ask for help. I would also like to point out that you must have nicer friends than I do because I get forgotten about by my friends all the time when I go to conventions. So they are <laughs> yeah, but at least at least the convention staff themselves. No, I think at Ryan, least... what you said is is a good idea, uh, and you're you're helping people to you know navigate so that it's a safe experience and they don't get left behind or feel neglected, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I will I will I agree with you. However, I also want to agree with Bill that. Uh, when I've gone to conventions, uh, now I, you know, I went to Dice Tower Con. I had my wife with me, and she is a loving person. She would lead me around, and then sometimes it leave me to play a game. I mean, I had a great game of Blue Moon City with Graham and, and Zunjez and a loud guy. I can't remember his name. But it was a blast. But she left. And so when she left and I had to use the restroom, I, I was not too proud to, to uh, ask for a little help. Also, Patrick... I give him credit, and his staff, they recognized the guy with the sticks coming in. They actually took me, even though I didn't need it at the time, here is the, the spot in the room with the best lighting. Really cool. And so I think uh, being prepared and safe is a good idea, but my experience says that, you know, there's a couple idiots in gaming, but most people that I game with and people that are cons... Will go out of their way to be friendly because just because they're cool people. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just suggesting that for the the best experience. I mean, your friends, your family, they probably have the your best interests at heart. They're probably the most invested in ensuring that you you get help getting around. They maybe want to go to the convention as much as you do to see and do things. I'm just suggesting that that for the best outcome it's best if you go to get there and get around with someone you don't like i said you don't have to stay together once you've got a bum in a seat uh and and onto one of the things that you'd like to do while you're there that's that's all i was trying to suggest and if your friends or family Mm -hmm. forget about you most likely you have their phone number. You can text them or call them to <laughs> remind them. Not necessarily the case with convention staff, unless you're friends with one of them or something. Hey, hey, jerk. I've had to go to the bathroom for an hour. Find me. Love me. I- <laughs> to something yes, Brian said uh, about food, uh, you should be aware, and it certainly doesn't hurt to ask, but some conventions frown very heavily on bringing in outside food and drink. They encourage you to purchase food and drink from the vendors in the convention hall or to leave the convention hall and go to some nearby restaurant or food truck if they happen to have those in the area instead. However, the compromise for that ride, and you are absolutely right, usually it has to do with the contract that the convention had to sign with whatever the venue is, where the venue will provide the food in order for them to give 
the space to the convention. The compromise there, however, is that there is not a convention in the world that will kick you out for bringing in a granola bar. I'm just throwing that out there. If the worst case scenario, it is always, 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 always a good idea to have a granola bar or an energy bar or something handy, something small like that. So that way, if you are starving and stuck in the longest game of power grid ever, or you are, or you have been abandoned by your jerk friends that aren't answering their phone or whatever it is that your case may be. I, I think that you should always at least keep just one of those crappy nature valley bars. If you can stand them in your backpack, just they last forever and they, they're, they will at least prevent you from becoming one of those Snickers commercials. True. Um, and on a related note, I'd say that the the next tip is to keep hydrated. It's very easy in mm-hmm. a in a dry environment with the time running away from you to forget to grab something to drink. And I don't know if this is common with other conventions, but Falcon had a water fountain with free water. Yep. If you bring in an empty bottle or you have one from earlier, you can just fill it up as much as you want. The water is free, and it's it's just something. That that can be easy to overlook. Two very important points to make there. Number one, Ryan, you are absolutely correct. That is becoming more common at more conventions. Both BGG and Geekway do that. And Gen Con pretends they do, but there's all of like two of them that I was ever able to find and they were never full. So there's that. But, and number two, and this is the most important one. Dear listener, hear me now. And if this, there's only one thing you take away from this podcast, it probably shouldn't be this, but listen anyway. Staying hydrated means water. It doesn't mean soda. It doesn't mean energy drinks. Dear Lord, it doesn't mean energy drinks. Well, you don't want to play with those people after a while anyway. Exactly. That's where I'm going with this story. You become an unpleasant person when you deny yourself on sleep and you live on energy drinks. I don't care what you think you are. For the rest of the people around you, you become a not awesome person. So when you stay (laughs) hydrated... Yes, if you need the caffeine, sure. Have a soda or two. I'm not saying don't drink soda. I'm saying for the purposes of staying hydrated for your health, that's water is what he's talking about. Or if you absolutely can't deal with water, iced tea is a valid substitute. There you go. Mm-hmm. But don't, don't, do not become a, an energy drink junkie. Don't try to exist on Mountain Dew alone. You will just end up feeling like garbage after a couple of days. Just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Uh, another thing I'm definitely going to recommend as far as general attendance goes is try to get there as early as possible, if only because if you're doing some uh, walking around at a convention that has uh, vendors or demos and things like that, you may just need more time to get around to see and do things. But also, if you're planning to attend a scheduled event, or sit in an open gaming as I tend to do, the earlier you can get there, the more likely it is that you're going to either A, find the thing that you've uh, scheduled yourself for before it starts, B, find a seat somewhere in general in the open gaming area before they're all taken where you might want them. And and this just leads into uh, my next suggestion is, as a person with a a disability, make yourself visible. That means taking uh, a table near the door, on the outside of of an open area, wherever, not only for uh, visibility, but for ease of in and out. If if you need to, to leave to get something to eat or use the washroom or what, have you it's it's just easier than trying to navigate around and through people they're gaming tables 
but being on the outside makes you more visible to people looking for something to play, looking for, for you wanting to indicate that you have something that you want other people to play with you. And then the last thing I'll say that I've had to learn the hard way is bring no more games than you can fit in a backpack per day of games that you want to play as opposed to, say, using games from the library. You know what games that you can play. You know what games you can teach. And you guarantee that you have the games on hand. But I've learned that having a big duffel full of games tends to... I don't know if it scares people away or or what, but it seems to me like if you... If you don't know what you want to play in that particular mood, uh, or, or sorry, in that particular time, then the people who might be looking for something to play aren't going to know either. Most likely they're looking at one or two games on the table and they're saying yes or no, and they're moving on. I, I think that in general, I agree with all those. Can I? And Ryan, for the record, you, I'm not arguing with you at all. I feel like I, I, I'm, I feel like I could come off as if I'm critiquing you here, and I certainly don't mean that. I, I just want to refine two specific things that you said. Oh, certainly. One, if you have something, it's certainly if you have something to add, please share. Number one, when it comes to arriving early on the day of a convention, that is fantastic advice for everything except Gen Con on Thursday. It is the worst advice you can possibly give someone. The beginning of Gen Con, the first day of Gen Con, before 10 a.m., is a nut house. It mm-hmm. is the exact is that, is that because the is, is that because the line starts at the convention center and ends at Terre Haute? Nah, close. It's because, A, people are trying to get their badges, so that part of the convention center is a nightmare. And, B, the people that already have their badges are waiting in this ridiculous mass of humanity to try and get into the dealer hall at 10 a.m. to buy the thing that they want to make sure they get before they run out of stock. Promos that are giving away, and people will selfishly and maddeningly run over each other to get that freebie at the back booth, and they will fight over it, not literally, but almost, and that drives me crazy. Yeah, it's so so specifically, when it comes to the getting there early thing, Gen Con specifically, Thursday morning specifically, that is a terrible idea. Wait. Unless you have some reason you really need to be there early, take Thursday morning and go enjoy your hotel's swimming pool. (laughs) Or go have a leisurely breakfast or something that doesn't involve going there because it's not worth the headache. Just throwing that out there. Mm -hmm. No, and that's that's fair. That's I appreciate that particular advice. I did it exactly once, and it was the most miserable three hours of my life. I got there at about 8, 8 a.m., and when the doors opened at 10, I was so irritated and ready to basically start swinging that I might as well have not even gone in there. Oh, and by the way, they don't turn on their air conditioning until about 9.30 a.m. in the dealer's hall, or at least that was my experience, or it felt like it. So not only were you stuck in this huge crowd with a bunch of people, but then they were all sweaty people because they ran into a really hot room. It mm-hmm. sucked. It was so bad. So, so in the case of a busy venue like Gen Con, it sounds like if you have to attend on the first day and you have something specific you want to do, it should be something in the afternoon rather than the morning so that you have the leisure time to get there, to get processed. What I usually tell people, because I've had a number of people ask me if there's a if there's a secret to enjoying Gen Con, because I, I've 
went for 25 years consecutively for the longest time. It was, it was ridiculous. So, and what I would always tell people is get there Wednesday, get your badge Wednesday night, first off, even if you have to wait in a line, because that line will still be less obnoxious than the Thursday morning line. Thursday, don't do anything in the convention that has anything to do with the dealer hall if you can at all help it. You don't need that promo that bad. You just don't. Go play scheduled events. Go do other stuff. I mean, unless you really have a religious experience with a specific game, and if you don't get this promo, your life will be over, I would never do a Thursday morning dealer hall crash ever again. I thought it was awful. I did the same, and, and you know, I kind of, I didn't fight, but I walked aggressively to get a HeroScape promo, mm-hmm. and by the time I got there, they were all out of them. Yep. Uh, and I, you know, and people were getting nasty and kind of grumpy and I wound up getting one anyway, but that's a long story. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. You can get those promos elsewhere. If you really need that promo that bad, you can get them. You might pay a little bit for them. It might be slightly more expensive, but if you need it bad enough that you're considering putting yourself through the hell that is Thursday morning dealer hall, then you probably need it bad enough that you can afford to drop five or 10 bucks on it later. And Agreed. either way, you're just going to ruin your convention experience, which is way more expensive than that 10 bucks you have to spend on the promo after the fact. So I just, I would, and then do all your shopping on Sunday. That's the last part of the tip. If you, if you really need to buy stuff, do the shopping on Sunday because then A, you're not carrying around all weekend. And B, usually a lot of the vendors will run specials because they don't want to take the stuff home. So mm-hmm. you can get things cheaper. Oh yeah. I'm, I was definitely going to mention that. Yep. Yeah, I bought a, a few games a few years ago for a buck each. It was great. Yep. Isn't that awesome? You, mm-hmm. you got to love that kind of stuff. I mean, they weren't very good games, but I wound, <laughs> up, I wound up farming them for my series of unsuccessful prototypes. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> oh, man. Those dollar games, though. Sometimes you can math trade those, and you'll end up with some surprisingly good stuff. Just yeah. throwing that out. Uh, if I can just add a little bit more to this particular conversation before we move on. For those who are looking to attend a convention, they've never attended one before, or based on what we were talking about earlier with this, this sort of mushrooming of new conventions, maybe just start Googling around for conventions to see if there's anything in your particular area, state or province, maybe even in your own city. It doesn't have to be very large, but just like with other events that might be available on meetup.com, you might find that there's a convention nearby, so you don't have to book a ticket and get a hotel room and fly halfway across the country or around the world to get in on, on some of this. And at the very least, when you're trying to figure out whether this is something that's really for you, that the really big, chaotic, raucous event that is a convention, at least going that way, you're starting with something smaller. And as you get comfortable, you may want to work up to something larger, something further away, something more widely attended, or not. If you feel that room with 300 people in it is simply too too noisy too too active for for your your gaming tastes sure i think that that's that's solid advice i think that doing your research before you ever even get to the convention is key i i, I touched on it before and i'll say it again i think that it's really important to know what it is that you want from your convention experience before you ever even get there i think that that's a really big deal and a lot of people and then they're amazed when Things don't go as well as they want, and they don't end up having the experience they thought they would have. I think just pick the right convention, and 
Ryan, you're absolutely right. Your first ever convention probably shouldn't be Gen Con. I mean, it may be, and that would be fun, right? And, and, you know, you might have a blast with it, but man, that talk about jumping in the deep end. You know, there are, there are local conventions near you that you could probably go to and have a great time and decide whether this is something that you want to do, especially if you have a disability. I think that that's an mm-hmm. even bigger consideration to make that. Well, I'll be honest. The draw for attending Gen Con, aside from it being the big deal in game conventions and it being the only place some things are available for sale, the only place where some panels are are, are done, sure. the biggest, the, the, the big incentive for me is having a friend in Indy that essentially saves me hundreds of dollars on having to have a hotel. But one thing to consider when you're doing your research and looking at places to go to um, in a geographical context is whether or not it's going to involve direct flights or if you're going to have connections or detours. Like how it may be that a convention that you want to attend that's further away may be easier to attend because where it is in relation to where your flights happen to line up. And, and I use both Origins and Gen Con as examples of what I will just semi-seriously refer to as conventions in the middle of freaking nowhere. Because for, <laughs> for, because for anyone living in Canada outside of Toronto, you can pretty much forget about a direct flight to Indianapolis or Columbus, Ohio. While something like the, what is it? The International Board Game Championship Convention in Chicago? The w- WBCs you're talking about? Yeah, that's, that's it. the World Board Game that's Championships East, that's East in, in in Chicago. It's like Pennsylvania or something like that, isn't it? Oh, I thought it was I in Chicago. It was... No, no, unless no. I'm thinking, unless I'm thinking <clears throat> of the Toy Fair, the Chicago yeah, Toy Fair. Sh- toy Fair is yeah. in Chicago. The board gaming championships are out where Bruce lives in uh, near DC, Maryland, College Park, Maryland, DC, around there somewhere. Okay, so event like Shy Tag in in Chicago is a direct flight for me living in Calgary there and back. Um, so that actually makes it uh enticing for for someone like myself who isn't a a world traveling veteran with regards to wanting to attend something out of area or even out of country. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that I think that that's a good point is that you got the logistics of going to the convention are just as big of a factor as the convention itself. I mean, that's actually like I said in the first part of the show, one of the things that can be very appealing for BGGCon in Dallas is that you literally are at the airport so you get your flight in and then you get on one shuttle that will take you the specific shuttle that takes you to that hotel. And the convention is inside the hotel where ostensibly you will be staying and away you go. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's that easy. Get to Dallas, <laughs> fly into Dallas, and then don't get on the wrong shuttle and you are officially free. <laughs> that's pretty much all you got to do. Like, you, and, and even if you do get on the wrong shuttle, worst case scenario, you get dropped off at a weird hotel and you're like, mm, can I go to this one instead? And then it takes you an extra 20 minutes. Other than that, you're good. Brian, you and me, we're just, we, we should start planning now to attend BGGCon 2017. Hey, you sold me it's, on it. I mean, it, sat, it really actually sure. sounded like a good time listening to some of the Dice Tower folks, what, the way they talk about it. And the battling top sounds like a blast. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, yeah, I, I'd consider it. Well, and, and, and battling tops needs to be experienced. 
Thompson. Well, well, and as a, as an OTR thing from me, I've heard so many other podcasters I respect and admire make BGGCon one of their yearly go-to destinations, or have have started doing so. It's it's either BGG, Dice Tower Con, or both. So to have the best chance to meet up with people that I want to spend time with, that I listen to their podcasts, when read the and watch their review videos, and chat with on social media, and just generally enjoy hearing and and. Share share uh, similar preferences for games, it seems like BGG Con should be right at the top of my my personal new convention experience. Yeah, it really should. And I, I mean, as much as I would personally, Geekway and, like I said, Geekway and BGG duel it out for one and two in my head, but that's because I don't have the extra layer of disability to think about. Honestly, if I was visually impaired, BGG would easily would easily beat Geekway, just because that ease of access and the fact that it is that there's it's the handicap tables right at the front of every room, so that way it's you know all you literally walk in and the first table you find will be handicap access. Period. Well, well, if if I were to say attend both of those, they're evenly spaced about six months apart so as far as spreading the the budget out to afford them uh that would make those appealing i'll have to look into the logistics of geekway to see how attending that would be and i'd maybe have to quest uh, some assistance from uh, friends of the show uh, that might also be attending something like geekway to the west or or bgg con (laughs) i'll have to figure out who that might be Apparently, I'm picking up Brian in exchange for two hugs. So there you go. There you go. You'd at least have he, he's cheaply bought. I know. Do not feed the Mogwai after midnight, hussy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Did uh, now yeah. for for attendees? Is there anything else either of you thought would be important to to mention? Some insider advice, that sort of thing. Yes. I actually have a few of these that I've been sort of mentally compiling over the span of this episode. We can make really... we can make room for everything you have. We're going to grill you for all you're worth. Shine that bright light in his eyes, Brian, while I prepare the all papers. Right. All right, here we go. You ready? And these are really subtle ones. Brian before mentioned be... comfortable shoes before. Comfortable shoes are not flip-flops. They may be comfortable for you for a short period of time, but if you spend a lot of time sitting at a chair, especially if you are a heavier gentleman like myself, that the lack of structure in shoes like flip-flops will cause your feet and ankles to swell and create lots of pain for you later. So seriously, real shoes, ladies and gentlemen. I know flip-flops are great and they are comfortable for short periods of time. They are a terrible choice for a game convention. That's number one. Number two, when you go into whatever the dealer hall is or you plan on doing some shopping, take an empty backpack. Empty. Mm-hmm. Do not take the backpack that you've already been carrying your games around in. As a matter of fact, you should actively avoid taking that backpack. Take 15 minutes out of your day and run that back to your hotel room before you go do your dedicated shopping time. But take an empty backpack with you and then the games that you buy put into said backpack. It'll help both keep the walkways of the dealer area more clear and prevent you from taking out innocent bystanders as you spin around to look at the coolest new thing. And it'll help you because you won't have that arm fatigue that can come from carrying around a huge heavy bag. Now you might, you might still get stuck with the huge heavy bag if you buy ridiculously large games or lots of stuff that won't likely fit in a backpack, but take an empty backpack. Trust me on this one. It'll help. That's number two. Agreed. Number three, the 6-2-1 rule. 
Ryan, you you had hinted at this um, off the air, but I want to throw this out there. The six two one rule means six hours of sleep, two reasonable meals, and one bathing experience. Either a shower or a bath, your choice. I'll leave that up to your taste. A bathing experience does not constitute jumping in the pool at your hotel. It means an actual <laughs> bathing experience. All right. So, but seriously, six hours of sleep, two meals, one bath. All three of those things are as much for the, for the everyone around you as they are for you. Not only will it keep you healthier, but it will make you a more pleasant person to play games with. Any, anybody that gets overly sleep deprived can become either, um, unreasonably stupid or unreasonably touchy. And either mm-hmm. one, and I mean touchy emotionally. I don't mean like gropey, creepy. Rhyme. Being rested, fed, and Clean. showered also reduces the likelihood that you'll be a vector for some mysterious convention-related disease as well. Exactly. It yeah. makes the convention experience better for you and for everyone around you. Just do it. I would like to add a slight amendment to that, actually, Bill. Sure. I, I agree with everything you say uh, vehemently. Um, but the six two one, I, I would, I wish to change that to seven point five. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding, because the six is a good minimal amount of sleep, and this goes goes to personal tastes. If you are going to a gaming convention and you live in an outlying area and you, this is the only chance you're going to get gaming, get to game, do it. Do 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 the six two one. That's fine. To have a better time, get that extra sleep in. I mean, when like I said, when my wife and I went to DTCon, we we spent half the time gaming and half the time just together. So if you're with just a bunch of of college friends or roommates, uh, you're not going to get a, a time to hang out with a loved one. Uh, but get a dual trip, you know, ha- spend some time with a loved one. Uh, and, you know, some of the time, and then game the other time. Again, that goes to personal tastes, but personally, I've had the most fun doing that, mixing that bag. I agree. A six to one should be considered bare minimums. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's, that is what you can exist and not be a horrible human being levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, absolutely. You should not treat, I, I don't personally think that you need to treat every second of a convention as if, it was an unrecoverable moment of your life that you must expend in the most efficient gaming way possible. Right. Because that, A, you'll just drive yourself nuts. And B, you don't take care of yourself that way. It's just, it's just, it's bad. It's a bad idea. Just enjoy yourself within the realms of being a normal part of society. Mm-hmm. And, and one, one final small tip. When we went to the first DT con, they had a little kitchenette in the hotel room. So we walked walked over to the convenience store, and yes, it's overpriced, but it's still better than hotel food the whole time. So we had sandwiches and salads at the hotel room. So we would take a break from gaming, go eat a normal meal in a comfortable area, oh, yes. and then go back. And there's nothing. I'm not faulting if you want to eat out, and it's a treat for you to eat at the hotel all the time. But the food choices aren't always as healthy. So you know, even if it's just sandwiches. It's it's a good tip to uh, to do that kind of thing. I would suggest. Yeah, I, I I've actually I think I dedicated most of one of my concred segments to the idea of how to where, where to eat or how to eat. Um, <laughs> there certain conventions will have better and less awesome food options. The one thing that BGG Con can lack is food options that don't involve public transportation. It can be kind of hard to get to places that have food besides the hotel. Mm-hmm. We'll have but, references to those concrete episodes in the show notes if anyone's yeah, wondering about more of what Bill is talking about here. Sure. Yeah, like Geekway to the West, 
the hotel where it is currently, as of 2016, located is part of this fun little, like, chalet-style complex that has five or six different restaurants in it within a two-minute walk. So you can literally go, and there's a taco joint, and there's an Irish pub thing, and there's a pizza joint, and, you know, there's all of these places that you can just wander off and go grab food away from the convention. And that's and that's another thing. This was the last tip that I was going to make before, is don't be afraid to leave the convention for, for periods of time. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to get away from the press of people and to go have some me time. Whether that me time just involves retiring to your hotel room and listening to, you know, listening to music for an hour and kind of recentering yourself, or if it involves throwing on your, your Euro guy Speedo and floating around in a pool for a while, like <laughs> Ryan does. Hey! It does in- <laughs> or, I'm just saying, alright. If people if it- knew my physique, they would be horrified and they're huddling in a corner crying right now. Ah, uh, nah, nah. Or, or, when it comes to food, that's the third part. Don't be afraid to leave the convention and go get a real meal somewhere. But the important part of this part of the topic is don't be afraid to leave the convention. Get away from it for short periods of time when you need to. I mean, you don't necessarily have to force yourself if you're, if you're good, but don't be afraid to walk away for a little while and kind of refocus before you dive back into gaming. Yes, your time at a convention is valuable, but it is not more valuable than your sanity and your good health. Yep. That's all I'm saying. This is gold. It's all gold. <laughs> well, here's the thing, okay? When I was younger, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, I, I, I've been trying to avoid anecdotes as much as possible here, but I'm going to throw one at you. When I was, I want to say 17 years old, so this would have been 1988, I went to Gen Con when it was still in Milwaukee. And we got there Wednesday, got our badges. I went to sleep Wednesday night, and I did not go back to sleep until Sunday night on the car ride home. Oh, dear I am, goodness. I am not exaggerating. I stayed awake for about 84 hours straight. When it's you're just, 17, it's ugh. stupid. It's ridiculous. I look back on it now, and I think, why would I ever do that to myself? Because not only did I sleep for like 20-some hours as soon as the convention was over when I got home, but... My friends told me, like, a week later, like, I wasn't speaking English. Like, I was not a comprehensible part of human society near the end of that time. But I had this idea that this was my big moment for the year, so I didn't want to miss anything. And so I was drinking a ton of Mountain Dew, and I was eating garbage food, whatever was most convenient, and I was playing games all night, every night, and then... I would go back to my hotel room, take a shower, and throw myself in the pool and the sauna for a few minutes to wake myself up, and then I'd go do it again. I think that one is going to be a harder one for people to to be to play it wise about Bill. If it's say either a their first convention experience, b their only big yearly gaming experience, or c mm-hmm. their only gaming experience period because of of where they live and 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 access to other people who like to who are as enthusiastic about the hobby as they are. So I can see where where the temptation to overdo it would be strong in those sorts of situations you you're you're a grizzled veteran at this point you don't you don't have to punish yourself in order to stay in the that just sounds horrid and i don't want to punish myself because i agree with brian now 
42, about to be 43 year old Bill in 2016 looks back on what 17 year old Bill did and thinks, that's the dumbest thing I have ever done. <laughs> now, I'm like, no way, man. What I want to do is get back to my hotel room at a quasi reasonable hour, have a good night's sleep, wake up, have a great breakfast, and be a positive, interesting, not offensive and barely speaking English person mm-hmm. that other people might actually want to play games with. Sure. Because I have no idea whether I had any fun so- that Sunday of that Gen Con or not. I genuinely don't know because I was sleep deprived and ridiculous. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Ryan, the enthusiasm and the excitement that comes with a convention can be overwhelming for a lot of people, but I would just urge you if, yeah, just please be aware of your own health, be aware of your own sanity and be aware of the people around you and what your lack of health and sanity will do to them. Because that's just, you know, it's no fun to game with that guy. Nobody likes that guy, as the saying goes. Don't be that guy, right? He's not suffering from AP, folks. He's just been up for 36 straight hours and can't (laughs) complete a a sentence in his mind at the moment. He can no longer do math, folks. Sorry about that. But let's play Power Grid, because that's a good idea. No, see? You don't, <laughs> oh, want, you don't, oh. don't, do, don't be that guy. That's what I I'm don't saying. play Power Grid even when I'm fully with it. All right. You know what? <laughs> it's been great being on your show, but I'm going to leave now, because you can't be hate-talking on one of my all-time favorite games. No, I like Power Grid. I believe it was Brian's idea to bring you on the show. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think when they brought up the deluxe version of Power Grid, it was, was actually a really good idea. It really was. It's a it's an improvement over the first one, and I love the first one. Parker Deluxe is every, in every way a better game. One more thing I wanted to say uh, as something I think that's worth considering is that based on what Bill was talking about with uh, going into a convention, knowing what you want to do, and setting yourself up to do it, um, if that if if the convention has what you want to do, obviously you're not going to go. If, to that convention if it doesn't let you do the things you want to do. But uh, sure. but uh thing I wanted to bring up, uh, to, just to close this out, is that if you're going to a convention with the idea of doing open gaming, where you're going to focus more on wanting to play games that you are bringing with you, just consider the possibility that you may not get as much game playing in as you would hope. The fact that... You're in an open space in a visible location with lots of people coming and going does not seem to translate into wall-to-wall gaming excitement until you can't stand it anymore. My own experience is that uh, even if you have something that you want to play and you're really excited to play it, you're in the mood to play it, you may just not encounter people who are looking for a game that want to play that game at that time. So you may spend hours not playing anything at all. And you just have to have to go in to that aspect with that awareness that you're, that just sitting at an, an empty table with games in a stack and pylons, uh, indicating you're looking for players, uh, is not always enough to get, uh, get people to sit down and, I mean, for all you know, you might be surrounded by groups who are all playing the same game you want to play, and so it's it's just full up. Everyone has found that game already with another group. You know, and, and the golden rule 
applies here very well. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If you want people to play the games that you're excited about, that's great. But if that's not a hit, then maybe you would be as well served asking people what they would like to play. And even if you're not particularly, you know, excited about learning a new game, or it isn't the game that you really had at the forefront of your mind, it might be a valid concern to just say, hey, maybe, you know, obviously I really want to play Egesia, but that's not hitting the mark for people, so why not pull out something different or ask people what they want to play or whatever. You know, I'm just saying, well, and give, I, it, I, give and take goes a long way here. Well, and and I went in with that theory, Bill, in, in the past when I've attended... Falcon, I'd go in with a duffel full of games, like, you know, the kind that sure. has uh, little wheels on the end so you can pick yep. it up. So this is full of games, and I leave it open beside my table with the idea that someone will come over and say, hey, I see you've got something I'd like to play. Are you interested in playing? Never happens. Yeah. What what yeah. I've what I've discovered from my personal experience is that people want to see one or two games up on the table if they're going to walk around and look for anything at all. It is so hard. It's such a moving target to figure out what a you want to play and b what others are going to be attracted to playing, especially if you're not uh, necessarily tabling the new hotness at that time uh, to to get people to sit down to something you want to play. What I found is probably the best approach, and it has come up in other uh, a touch of gaming editions that we've talked about, is sort of picking games that are are, are more well-known, that are more closer to gateway than enthusiast, just to have the wider, widest possible uh, interest level and, and attraction for, for other people. Because you don't know what kind of experience level people are going to have when they sit down at the table and you've never met them before. And you'd like to sit down and play games with somebody at some point. Obviously, you're not going to stack your, your game bag with games that you can barely tolerate. But that's kind of where I've had to learn not to put Dungeon Lords on the table. That was a mistake. Uh, but Seven Wonders and Among the Stars went over very well in 2015. Yeah, and it might, it might be the size of the convention too. You can get away with throwing Dungeon Lords on a table at BGGCon because you got 27. 27 oh no, my issue, my issue, around. my issue with Dungeon Lords was not getting people to play it. The issue was that it was, it had a steeper learning curve than I remembered it having. And yeah. so where everyone else uh, besides myself had never played it before, we actually brought in someone, an ambassador, uh, the uh, convention staff essentially, to teach sure. the game to the rest of the group. And yeah. even then we only played half the game because it took three plus hours between setup teaching and, and actual gameplay. We decided to call it and, and that's what I mean when I say it was a mistake. It was a game that should not have been, been tabled as much as I wanted to play it. It was too far outside the level of what I should have brought and tabled at that time to and have a chance of even playing all the way through it, let alone having people come away from it with a good experience. Sure. And that's, and I know, I don't want to belabor this specific game because everybody's experiences are going to be different on this. And, you know, being fully sighted for me, it's obviously a slightly different experience because I don't have the same challenges that you two have. But yeah, I totally, I, I totally understand where you're going with this. 
Well, it's not even necessarily that a that a person's looking for games knows uh, that I'm uh, unsighted when they sit down, when they're looking for a game or sitting down to play a game with me. It's usually something I bring up at the time, uh, so I don't have, say, a cane sitting nearby or uh or anything like that i don't know if that helps or hurts my situation but it just it is the way it is so i i I don't necessarily consider my impairment to be uh a factor for or against people looking for for something to play uh not having been to a larger convention i don't know how how different the experience would be with just simply having a, a greater quantity of persons to pass by and uh, looking for something to, to get in on. Hey, man, it's just stats. More people you have around, the more likely you are to have a couple stumble across that already know and like the game. Okay. Let's play in the numbers, baby. <laughs> well, I'll have to keep, I'll have to keep <clears throat> that in mind, but still curb my enthusiasm uh, as I expand my convention experience. So, uh, moving on... What advice do we have uh, for organizers and and staff persons for these conventions to help smooth the way for the convention experience, either for the the disabled attendee, their their uh, more sighted or more abled companion? Uh, what 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 would you put on the table for this? Okay, I have I have three things that I was kind of kicking around because I knew this question was coming. Question or thing number one, volunteers, 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 get as many of them as you can and focus on getting them. Make a priority out of having volunteers help you with your convention running experience. The number one thing that will cause a convention to overall, I don't want to say fail, but be less ideal is when there aren't enough people doing the work. When you have five or six people that are scurrying from job to job, putting out fires, it's really hard for them to be able to do the FaceTime that you need to be able to do with your convention attendees to get that real feedback to find out where the problems are. Because if you're con- every convention needs improvement. There is no perfect convention out there. None, not, not BGG, not Geekway, not Hoopla, not Gen Con, none of them. Your convention should always be willing to learn. That's actually the number two point, but I'll come. You can't learn until you know, and you can't know without talking to your attendees, and you can't talk to your attendees if you are chained to the front desk waiting for people to come ask you questions because that's where the money is. So have all the volunteers you can possibly get and have those volunteers take up non-critical tasks so that way you can be freed up to do the critical things and to get to know your attendees. Have FaceTime. Don't be unapproachable. That's number one. Number two, be ready to learn from your mistakes. Be ready to evolve. Learn the things that you do wrong and be willing to change them. The the most dangerous phrase I think that exists in convention organization is the phrase, that's the way we've always done it. That will, in my opinion, is the death knoll for a convention. Because I don't care how you've always done it. If it's wrong, you should fix it. That's how it is. The world changes whether your convention is changing or not. Change along with it and be ready to adapt. And the number three thing that I would say is have a plan for what to do with the information that you gather during a convention. 
gather the information, and then have a plan for what you're going to do with it. This, I know none of the three tips are specifically relating to visually impaired gamers, but this one probably is the closest. If you didn't think about making your, your convention visually impaired friendly, or I'll give you a real world anecdote. Uh, when I was helping run the gaming hoopla, we had vegan attendees and we had never considered the idea of providing vegan food options when we were doing our own food at the time. So that was an adjustment that we had to make and we had to implement that adjustment in a real trackable way. It isn't good enough to say, okay, everybody remember we need to buy vegan burritos next, next time around. Do something real with that information and implement it at the very least in some sort of a record keeping format. You can't keep all the information in your head. Don't try. I was just going to ask if you've, um, as a convention organizer, have you had to address issues of accessibility either for, uh, say, persons uh, using wheelchairs or uh, guide dogs or anything like that, anything disability related? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, one of the first venues that we had for the Gaming Hoopla, one of the biggest reasons we moved away from it is because we discovered that although the able-bodied amongst us were more than able to get between the tables and get to their seats and whatever, the people that were not as able-bodied had a really hard time with it. And it didn't occur to us when we were setting everything up until we had a person with a disability or a limitation come into the convention and struggle. And that was how we realized, oh, oops. And so then we had to move forward and make adjustments like that. And not all of the adjustments were specifically related to disabilities, like I had mentioned the vegan one before. But those adjustments can be very easily as important, especially if you're looking for growth from your convention. So yeah, absolutely. It, it is definitely a thing. It's one of the reasons why I liked highlighting things like the handicap accessible tables right at the front of the hall at BGGCon. Clearly they've learned this lesson at some point in time and they took steps to fix it. That's what you should do as a convention organizer. Get do, that feedback and do something with it. Do conventions face any sort of liability, uh, considerations if they do not make their venues accessible? Very rarely. I I would guess because the building itself where the convention is going to be has the responsibility to make itself. Let's face facts. You're not going to pick a place for your convention that isn't already have the basics, right? Like wheelchair accessibility. You, you just, it's, it, it, that's just not a thing. It, it's, it's, it, it might seem like it might be a thing, but I have yet to go to any convention that wasn't, accessible and didn't have the very basics. And as far as liability goes, yes, you needed event insurance for any sort of, you know, accident insurance and that sort of thing. But as far as the liability for people with disabilities, my gut says that would probably fall on the venue that you're using for it, unless you own the venue, in which case that's a whole different bag of worms that I don't think is a realistic. What about you, Brian? As as an attendee, uh, unless you've uh, participated in some sort of convention organizing yourself, you haven't spoken much about that. Uh, I think Bill covered it well, and I think we're good. God, I'm amazing. All right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to use uh, technology, leverage the crap out of it. Um, for example, uh, if you're using a website, make sure that your website 
is going to be basically accessible, that it's going to be up and, and, and not be, be bombarded by uh, attendees looking for information. But more importantly, if you're going to do uh, something like Falcon has started doing, where you have a screen up for your Twitter account to show announcements and things, then you need to, you need to, uh, announce and promote the crap out of it because for, for persons looking for games, looking to keep up with schedules, looking for people to join in on their game. If you've got these up so people can just look and see who is where and what's going on, then it's going to make it, it's so much more easier for, for people to, to, meet up with other people to and, and and from that they if if they're they've got their phone or tablet on them they can connect to that themselves and now they've got that screen on their person to get those announcements uh i myself took advantage of that in 2015 when announcing uh my availability to play games on uh on screen but the Impression that I got from speaking to persons involved with the convention organizing is that not that while they had these screens up in the main hall, it didn't seem like a lot of people were taking putting their eyes on it to use it uh, to to its full effect. But otherwise, I thought its use was a was a great idea. Um, and I'm hoping that they continue to make more use out of it, but they might need to incentivize its use by providing uh, announcements for contests or promotions or what have you to to get people looking up a little more often and, and thus make it more useful for people like me waiting for a game who cannot just wander around the convention hall by themselves looking for empty seats. Yeah, I think you basically... It, that, that's a very specific example, and it's an excellent one. But at the end of the day, what it c- comes down to is making sure you have the manpower to do all the things you want to do. Just sticking a screen up on the wall and putting something on it is great, but if you don't have people promoting it and using it and leveraging it, then there's no point to have it. So it really kind of, it as it sort of all comes back to the make sure you got the manpower to do the jobs you want done. But I see what you're saying there. I, I get the connection, and it's a yeah. very valid. What do we? What do you feel? Conventions have gotten right and wrong with regards to uh, attendance. I, okay. I know it sounds like a similar, similar question to to our earlier questions, but uh, I don't. Nah, it's it's different. It's different enough. Here's here's what I'll tell you. Conventions in my opinion, have two sort of modes, and I I briefly mentioned this before, which is expand mode and excel mode. Expand mode is when your job is to get more butts in the seats, either because you need the money or you want the exposure. And then excel mode is when you take the butts in the seats and you give them the best experience they can. You're not as worried about getting more people in the door. You're worried about giving the people in the door the best experience they can. The reason that I'm bringing this up right here is because I think conventions in general have been great at the expand portion of those two modes. I think that conventions, the growth and just the fact that there are so many more conventions now than there ever have been and that there is so many more springing up every year speaks to the fact that the hobby is growing and becoming more socially acceptable and more socially recognized. But the Excel side of things is where I think most conventions fall a little bit short. I think that 
one of the reasons that certain conventions are spoken so highly of is because they are the exceptions that do focus on the Excel side of things. They are the conventions that focus on making the little changes to make the convention better every year than the year it was before. If you're Gen Con, and I'm sorry, by the way, if, if the Gen Con organizers happen to listen to your show, they're probably going to think that I hate Gen Con, which I definitely don't. It's just not my style of show anymore. But if you're Gen Con, your goal is to make money. And you make money by putting people in your convention. At the end of the day, their incentive is not as much to make Gen Con to refine it into this excellent experience. Their their goal is to get more people to show up. And the way that they do that, sure, is adding more features and doing, you know, adding more of stuff, but they aren't necessarily taking the little steps to make the convention excellent. Compare that to something like BGGCon, because that's the other one I keep hammering on, I guess. BGGCon does those little things, like having water that is easily and readily available all over the convention, like every 100, 200 feet, there's a water fountain that you can just go, and they are always restocked. Being, you know, having the travel accessibility, having the easy access for people with disabilities, those are things that make them excel and make that a destination convention that people will prioritize. And I think that that's the closest thing to an answer I can give you because it really is every convention is going to be a little bit different. But overall, I think conventions are great at expanding, but they're, they can they need to focus more, I think, in some aspects on excelling at the things that they do. Take what you already do and do it better. Just don't don't necessarily just do it bigger. So do you feel that a convention that pushes hard to get as many people through turnstiles runs the risk of getting out of hand? Well, where they, where they, the they lose, sorry, where they lose the ability to focus on uh, excellence as opposed to attendance? Well, you can do both. I just think that most conventions don't have the structure and the organizational system to do it and the manpower. Again, it's, I know that I, I've said this three times already, but I'll say it again. If a convention doesn't have the manpower to do the job, they're not going to do the job well. Every, I mean, that applies to everything, not just conventions, but it's equally possible here. If your convention is in full-on expansion mode and all you're looking to do is get more butts in the seats and that is your number one priority, then all of your people are going to be doing things for that purpose. They're not going to be making the little adjustments that you should be making on the fly to make your convention awesome. To have people refer to it as amazing rather than, that was really cool. There's a difference. And when you find that's that difference is what I think of when I think of excelling is just getting over that little hump and making your convention the thing that people talk about for months and months and months afterwards, making them they'll have stories about those conventions. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Brian. I echo what Bill said. I think I'm going to pick on Jen kind of a little bit. If you're in the exhibit hall, you are cattle with a wallet. And you're there yeah. to buy stuff. Uh, I'm not, it sounds worse than I mean it, but it's not a great experience because it's too crowded and it's not that they don't care. I'm sure they do care, but the experience is not great. And this again goes to taste, personal taste. Uh, I'm more of the, uh, you know, lay low and, and have a casual bunch of games. And so in that case, you really uh, need to have a good library 
of games, and you need adept staff to main those things and get the games out right uh, and knowledgeable staff. I've had great experience at Dice Tower Con. Uh, Patrick and his staff do a wonderful job. Uh, there are other places that may not do it as great, but you can still have a good experience. But I would say the uh, the Gen Con thing is, is just too big. Um, so I wouldn't rec- necessarily recommend some of the stuff they do. And I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to shut up now. No, you're not rambling at all. I think you made, you so, made perfectly valid points there. So would you say that something a convention can do wrong is not to appropriately space Absolutely. for the, the, the kinds of, of crowds that they, they anticipate and or have uh, received in previous years? Yeah, uh, absolutely. If the spacing is too crowded, it's going to be a, a, a mood killer, you know. And, yep. and that that was my experience. I mean, I not only was it too crowded, of course, I went on family day where people bring their buggies and stuff, so that's not a great idea. <laughs> but I'm also blind, and so, you know, legally blind. So that was, it, it was a good experience, don't get me wrong, but it was a challenging one, and I, ne- I did not feel like I need to go back. Because, but again, that goes to <clears throat> personal taste. I'm more of the, the, the laid back kind of dude. I just want to be with friends and have some fun gaming. If you're into the experience in the, in the dealer hall, well, that, that, that's what it is. But even with that said, it was just so jam packed. It was like, Oh, get me out of here. I'm getting claustrophobic. Mm. Okay. I have one very specific example. Um, and it might be too specific of something that I feel that, uh, that a convention, uh, could and, and has done wrong. And hopefully I'll have something where they've done it right. The wrong thing is to use round tables. Don't use them at any size, period. Do not use round tables. Why? Because they they don't fit right. When you're in a large space and you're trying to sort of balance between number of tables versus access, round tables just don't do it. And worse luck if you're using a larger round table that seats anywhere from like five to eight people. Um, it's, it's, won't, it, it, in order to share the space with smaller groups, you can't really space them out very, very well in order to share that space. You're better off putting two rectangular tables together to form a square table. At least that allows you to more evenly space people out around the gameplay area even if it's one group on one half and one group on the other half. And, and I experienced this specifically at Falcon 2015, where they had them around the outside. Just don't do it. Use square and or rectangular tables. At least if they have to be moved around, they're, they're easier to work with than something that's already around and you can't separate. I, I, I think I would respectfully disagree, but not in all aspects. I think you're absolutely right that logistically they are, they can be a pain in the butt compared to square tables and they definitely do eat up more space. However, there are a number of games where round tables are not only preferable, but ideal for that specific game where the doubled up six foot banquet tables actually become a hindrance. Um, I think that it's more a matter of making sure that you're using the tables for the purposes that they are intended for. If you have, if it's an open gaming convention, like it sounds like Balkan is, then yeah, those round tables are going to be inconvenient, but then don't sit at one. There are other tables. Those tables should be, you know, and you could even post on this table is ideal for this kind of game, like social deduction games. You know, they, they are fantastic for games like that. 
they're actually way, way better for games like that than any kind of a square table format. So, you know, so just using the, using the tables correctly, I think would be a, would be a, a, a compromise there because I, speaking from experience, sometimes round tables are what they give you. In the hall that you're in, and sometimes you don't get that choice. Well, uh, well, they they did. They had sort of a mixture of square and round tables. Yep. But when I attended in 2014, they had square tables around the outside, mm-hmm. and, and I, I sat w- essentially in the same space in 2015, <clears throat> uh, near to the prototyping area, and they were using round tables. Now I couldn't tell you of the exact distribution of of each where they were exactly. The impression I got though is that they. Uh, we're using a lot of these round tables all throughout the open gaming area, and I just felt like they were the wrong option for, uh, majority use in the open gaming area. If they have to use them at all, they should be to one side or more in the middle with square tables on the outside. That's just, maybe it sounds more like a personal preference. But I feel, I, but I just feel like when, when you're trying to make room for smaller groups, I, uh, the round tables are, are not a good form factor. Well, I'm gonna have to respectfully also disagree with you, Ryan, there, Olivia, but I have to go with Bill on this one. I think that's, your problem might have been specific to that convention in that they didn't set it up in an optimal way. And it might be your preference, but I'm having an octagon shaped table in my basement where we game at. That's optimal for a lot of games. And so I prefer that. I, I get that it makes it harder to move around and confusing, especially those of us with visual challenges when they don't space it properly. But that's more of a spacing issue in how they allocated the space than the, the table size itself. So. Yeah. And, and you're right. One thing you are absolutely right about, Ryan, is that you don't want to try and split a round table across two games because that's just going to be goopy for everybody. But. I, I guess I would hope that you wouldn't try either, <laughs> unless, unless you were in a, a last ditch. This is the only table left in the hall, kind of thing. Well, I guess we'll give her hell. Fall, I, Falcon was that busy. Now, see, then that's then that speaks to a larger problem, though. That speaks to there was poor planning, not using round tables in that instance. Was, you are probably correct. They probably shouldn't use round tables, but it's not the round tables themselves that should never be used. It's that convention shouldn't have used them because they were too cramped for the space they had. You see what I mean? There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, 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 I still feel it, the, the one thing I want to say that I, I think, uh, convention can do right with or, or has done right with is the use of, of something like Twitter, um, as a, an announcement or notification mechanism within the convention, whether they put screens up or not, using it to reach out to, to people attending the convention. I know it sounds like, uh, like you're trying to get everyone on this, the same social, social media, but it is kind of a thing that, uh, people are sort of choosing to, to use these social media methods to, sure. to reach out and, and, uh, People are on one or, or, or more of them, and you can use Twitter through Facebook. You can connect to Facebook via Skype. You, is there are lots of ways for, for people to reach each other in some fashion and, and use that as a, a vehicle to keep the attendees informed of, of what's going on, uh, especially things that they want to to try and participate in or have signed up to, to be a part of. So I, I only hope that they continue to make better use of that going forward. I think we're... We're, we're tapped out. We, 
I, I think we've run around the convention hall several times here over the course of this edition of A Touch of Gaming. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for having me on the show and giving me a format to talk about this. I think this is always an interesting topic, and it's even more interesting for me because now I get to look at it from a fresh, uh, fresh viewpoint, forgive the pun, uh, by looking <laughs> at it here, you know, with the idea of, of visual impairment because it's not something that those of us that are fully sighted always think about. So I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good another perspective into the convention experience. So well, thanks for having me. Sure. You're quite welcome. And thank you for making the time to join mm-hmm. us, uh, for this, for this edition. Uh, maybe you will be part of, uh, other editions of A Touch of Gaming on other topics. Hey, anytime I get a chance to harass Brian Counter, I'm in. That sounds <laughs> awesome. No, seriously, it was it was great to talk to you again, and thanks for taking part of your evening, or actually a full evening. But no, good talking to you, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where getting these, we're a small part of the market share, us visually impaired and blind gamers, we fully recognize that. However, I'm growing, getting to know more people who are visually impaired and blind, who do enjoy gaming, or could use a little gaming just to be more social. Uh, in a non-forced way. So that's what we hope to do is just get the word out and get people more aware and uh, give good tips and everything. So thanks for your feedback, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Anytime. On behalf of A Touch of Gaming, we hope that at some point we will uh, encounter some of our listeners at uh, a forthcoming convention. If you happen to be a listener and you know us, uh, feel free to say hi. Mention that you heard us on A Touch of Gaming. Thanks for listening. Thank you.